trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership, and the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Well, hello there, and welcome to the show. This is where we revel in wrong think several times a week. Yes, it, uh, it's a source of frustration to some, but uh, it's a source of encouragement to others. And I hope you're one of those people who finds it a source of encouragement. Our sponsors include great businesses and organizations like HSLAmmo.com, Pure-Light.com, as well as MonticelloCollege.org. And I've thoughtfully included some links in the show notes, which you'll find at TheBrianHydeShow.com, where you can actually visit each one of these sponsors. You can, uh, you know, purchase their products or their services if you so choose, and you can also uh, tell them thanks for helping to get this message out. So first of all, let me say, happy tax day. It's April 15th. I know that doesn't sound like much of a reason to be celebrating, but um, here's what I'm celebrating. Uh, Like last year, when when it was uh, these unprecedented times, well, they pushed back the filing date by another few weeks, so you got a little bit of a respite before the tax man cometh, but uh, we're going to be sharing some thoughts with you from J.D. to Seal, uh, inviting you to enjoy Tax Day 2021. Now, here's, here's the other shoe dropping. He says, uh, it's not likely to get better from here on. And if you've been paying attention to some of the massive spending that has been going on, that, uh, that should have been pretty clear. Yeah, we, we, we knew that uh, all that spending and all of the, the uh, borrowing, somebody's going to have to pay that back. Since you and I are standing at the head of the line there, fellow taxpayer, I guess uh, I guess that's us. Somehow we seem to have volunteered. That's not that's not just, you know, I mean, so there's some bad news, but we have some good news as well. I got a couple of different things I want to share with you today. Uh, we're going to talk about the freedom to speak your mind. You know it's under attack. How do you know this? How many times have you looked around to see if anybody was within earshot because you were going to say something that someone might construe as unacceptable, you know, like a dog whistle for cancel culture. Got an article here from Tom Pityak pointing to an old Frank Sinatra song. Maybe you remember this one, The House I Live In. And he he very brilliantly uses this song as as a backdrop to illustrate how that house we live in, meaning America, has become a house we hide in instead out of fear of uh, offending somebody and finding ourselves, you know, on the receiving end of the uh, cancel mob's wrath. I've got a little bit deeper topic I'm going to get into here in a few minutes. Um, In my opinion, there are very few people who've written with greater insight into human nature than Alexander Solzhenitsyn. There is so much wisdom in his words, and unfortunately, that wisdom is the kind of wisdom that is born of suffering and experience. But do you realize back in 1983... He warned that the West's rejection of God would end in misery and terror. And that is being validated right before our eyes by many of the same players, or at least ideological uh, traveling companions, of uh, the people who put him in the gulag. Yeah. 
I wish I had more good news, but uh, that's, you know, I, today we're taking a hard look at some of the things that, that need to be better understood. We, of course, will also be looking at, you know, what can we do about it? Where, where can we wield our influence, you know, to where it's going to do the most good? I'm going to start today, though, with uh, this is the thing that's just been on my mind here lately, and that is the wokeism of corporate America. I have just sat back and marveled how, um, and it's not just, you know, it's not just, you know, the um, social justice warrior stuff. It's not just, you know, what sensitivity to transgenderism and LGBT issues. No, it's, uh, it's gone far beyond that. In fact, what we're seeing right now is we are seeing corporations, big corporations, acting as enforcers for government policy. Or at least, if, let me put it this way. They are acting as the enforcer for central planners. Okay, where do you see this? Well, look at the airlines. Can you fly? Not unless you have the COVID vaccine and you properly mask up. And if you deviate in the slightest, we're going to have you pulled off the plane, maybe arrested, maybe we'll just ban you for life, put you on a no-fly list. That's pretty punitive. I mean, even a reasonable person would say, wow, that's harsh. But this is what corporate America is doing. You want to work in corporate America? Here's the line. We have some diversity training. We're going to show you. We're going to teach you critical race theory and teach you how everything that came before you was racist, superstitious, and wrong. Now, this is not to say that there weren't some ideas that uh, didn't seem to hold up well to the test of time. But really? We have to reject everything that came before? I wonder what we'll replace it with. Oh, yes, what the central planners have for us. Top-down control of every aspect of your life. You'll have nothing and like it, I think is the phrase that they have, have taken to using. How bad is it getting? Well, you are seeing, uh, you know, of course, uh, social media, you know, the tech giants using their influence to, to uh, silence voices of dissent. You're seeing uh, tech giants like Google using their influence, which is considerable, to absolutely shape the public's perception of what's going on. Case in point, you start Googling things like like riots. They won't show you the actual riots that are going on right now in places like Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, and others, Portland, Oregon. Nope, the only thing they'll show you, the only thing that fits their approved narrative is, well, whatever happened at the Capitol. They call it insurrection. I think they're uh, hyperventilating, but hey, we're entitled to our opinions, Right. Uh, not if corporate America has anything to say about it. Don't like what somebody's saying? Well, how about this bank says you can no longer use your money through us. You can no longer traffic that money through us. You can't, you can't bank. Yeah, the heat is being turned up. And to me, this is, this is one of those areas I have been such a staunch defender of private property. And it really upsets me that I may have to admit that my friend Robbie is, uh, is right even though I think he's leaning hard towards Marxism when he says corporate America has much more punitive power than you think. Because I've long operated under the impression, no, 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 they don't. You don't. They can't force you to do business with them. But they sure have the power to punish you if you do business with them and if you don't tow whatever line they say you need to tow. So I'm having to rethink a few things here like, Okay, is it really private property? Is, it, is the corporation really a private uh, organization and can do whatever they want because it's their property and their rules? When they've partnered with government 
to the extent that they are acting as the enforcer and the, the purveyor of whatever those centrally planned policies are. This wokeness that has taken over corporate America, and by the way, that includes the medical establishment. Look at the businesses and corporations that are saying, you can't work here unless you get the vaccine. You can't use our facilities unless you get the vaccine. Everything that big government wants, the corporatist class is helping them get. Saw an article from Glenn Greenwald a couple of days ago. Big corporations now deploying woke ideology the way intelligence agencies do, as a disguise. He says, by draping itself in the finery of political activism, the corporatist class consolidates political power, corrupts democracy, and distracts from its real functions. And he actually brings up a good example of this. Um, Most of us who live outside of the United Kingdom don't uh, know a whole lot about the British spy agency GCHQ. Glenn knows a little bit about this because he has some firsthand experience with, uh, with these folks and, and uh, how, they, uh, how they took down Julian Assange. He says the British spy agency GCHQ is so aggressive, extreme, and unconstrained by law or ethics that the NSA, not exactly world-renowned for its restraint, often farms out spying activities too scandalous or illegal for the NSA to their eager British counterparts. There is, as the Edward Snowden reporting demonstrated, virtually nothing too deceitful or invasive for GCHQ. They spy on entire populations, deliberately disseminate fake news. By the way, he's got links to back up everything he's saying here. Exploit psychological research to control behavior and manipulate public perception and destroy the reputations, including through the use of sex traps, of anyone deemed adversarial to the British government. But... They want you to know that they absolutely adore gay people. In fact, they love the cause of LGBT equality so very much that beginning on May 17, 2015, International Day Against Homophobia, Transphobia, and Biphobia, they started draping their creepy UFO-style headquarters in the colors of the rainbow flag. Now, the prior year, in 2014, they'd merely raised the rainbow flag in front of their headquarters. In 2015, they announced, we wanted to make a bold statement to show the nation how we serve, how strongly we believe this. We've got to take a break. We'll come back here in just a few minutes and pick up with uh, this article from Glenn Greenwald. I have it linked in the show notes. Strongly recommend you give it a give it a look. I think he's one of the few truthful journalists out here, out there, so uh, I would encourage you, consider what he has to say. Whether you accept it or not, well, that's up to you. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is is the Brian Hyde show. All right, back to the uh, Glenn Greenwald article. Big corporations now deploying woke. And it's not just woke in the sense of social justice. It's also woke in the sense of they are enabling all of the uh, all of the medical community and corporate medical um, goals to be enabled as well. Crazy crazy stuff. Government, uh, you know, bureaucrats who want people to get needled and want them to wear their masks can count on 
the big corporations to tow this line and make it possible. And Glenn talks about how uh, GCHQ, the uh, British spy agency, has, has shown that it is so, so dedicated to supporting LGBT equality. And he says, who could possibly be opposed to an institution that offers such noble gestures and works behind such a pretty facade? How bad could GCHQ really be if they're so deeply committed to the rights of gay men, lesbians, bisexuals, and trans people? Sure, maybe they go a little overboard with the spying sometimes, and maybe some of their surveillance and disinformation programs are a bit questionable, and they don't necessarily have the highest regard for law, privacy, and truth, but... We know that deep down, these are fundamentally good people working within a fundamentally benign institution. Just look at their flamboyant support for this virtuous cause of social justice. He's got, he really does sarcasm good, by the way. (laughs) Glenn Greenwald says similar agencies of deceit, militarism, and imperialism now robustly use this same branding tactic, the CIA. In between military coups, domestic disinformation campaigns, planting false stories with their journalist partners, and drone assassinating U.S. citizens without due process, joyously celebrates Women's Day, promotes what it calls the agency network of gay, lesbian, bisexual, and transgender officers, and hosts activities for Pride Month and organizes events to commemorate Black History Month. The FBI does the same. He says it's so sweet one's tempted to forget about, or at least be more understanding of, all the bombing campaigns and all the dictatorships they install and prop up that repress and kill the very people they purport to honor and cherish. Like GCHQ, how menacing can an intelligence agency be when it's so deeply and sincerely supportive of the rights of the people they routinely spy on, repress, and kill? Now, Glenn Greenwald says, again, this doesn't make the CIA perfect. Sure, they make some mistakes and engage in some actions that are worthy of criticism, but to combat real evil, you don't go protest at Langley. They're engaged in important work combating homophobia, racism, and misogyny. Thus, real warriors against evil look not to them, but instead go searching online for the Boogaloo Boys and boomers on Facebook who post QAnon and other problematic memes. That's where your focus should remain if you want to root out the real threats. Now, large corporations, he says, have obviously witnessed the success of this tactic to prettify the face of militarism and imperialism with the costumes of social justice. Now they're weaponizing it for themselves. As a result, they're becoming increasingly aggressive in their involvement in partisan and highly politicized debates, always on the, same, on the side of the same causes of social justice, which entities of imperialism and materialism have, militarism rather, have so effectively co-opted. Corporations have always sought to control the legislative process and executive branch, usually with much success. They purchase politicians and their powerful aides by hiring them as lobbyists and consultants when they leave government. And those bought and paid for influence peddlers then proceed to exploit their connections in Washington or state capitals to ensure that laws are written and regulations enforced or not enforced to benefit the corporation's profit interests. These large corporations achieve the same goal by filling the campaign coffers of politicians from both parties. This is standard age-old K Street sleaze that allows large corporations to control American democracy at the expense of those who cannot afford to buy this influence. I'm just going to pause here for a second and ask you, does that ring true? This sounds a lot like what I have been seeing for myself for the past decade or so. And I'm grateful to see someone like Glenn Greenwald put this into such 
perfectly succinct terms. But he also says now they're going far beyond clandestine corporatist control of the government for their own interests. They are now becoming increasingly powerful participants in highly polarizing and democratic debates. In the wake of the George Floyd killing last summer, it became virtually obligatory for every large corporation to proclaim support for the Black Lives Matter agenda, even though many, if not most, had never previously evinced the slightest interest in questions of racial justice or profiling. One of the very few companies that refused to do so was the Silicon Valley-based cryptocurrency exchange program called or platform called Coinbase, which announced that it would remain apolitical and not involve itself in partisan debates or causes of social justice unrelated to its core business mission. When announcing that policy of political neutrality, the company's co-founder, Brian Armstrong, explained that the reason is that, while I think a lot of these efforts are well-intentioned, they have the potential to destroy a lot of value at most companies, both by being a distraction and by creating an inter- in creating, creating internal division. Now, that once anodyne announcement to stay out of politics as a corporate entity produced instant backlash. And exactly two months after, the notoriously censorious and politicized tech reporters of the New York Times punished the company for its heresy of neutrality with a lengthy article depicting Coinbase as a bastion of racism and toxic bigotry. The company was also savaged by journalists because of its audacity to reveal and respond to the New York Times allegations in advance of the paper's decision to publish. Ever since, large corporations are diving into numerous other political debates with great vigor and force, provided that their views are in alignment with affluent liberal culture and prevailing social justice pieties, though, like NBA officials and stars, they can find themselves to easy domestic causes and scripted liberal platitudes while they steadfastly avoid commenting on any injustices that may implicate their business interests, such as debates over labor abuses in China or Amazon's abuse of its workers. The Wall Street Journal on Sunday reported that dozens of chief executives and other senior leaders gathered on Zoom this weekend to plot what several said big businesses should do about new voting laws underway in Texas and other states. Huh. Now, the campaign against these laws includes not just corporate giants, but the nation's largest and richest corporate law firms. So they're looking to get into politics, are they? Well, I hate to sound like uh, one of those diehard uh, atheist uh, friends who, uh, you know, wants to strip away the tax exemption from churches, but maybe we should rethink some of this uh, corporate tax protection if, after all, they're getting into politics. I don't think they really need that, right? Sauce for the goose should be sauce for the gander. Look, there's a lot more to this article. I hope you'll take the time to read it for yourself, but understand, this is... This is a real growing problem. Woke capitalism is a threat to democracy. Rod Dreher, writing uh, in The American Conservative, advanced these arguments in his book, Live Not by Lies. He says these same people are eventually going to eagerly collaborate with government to create the social credit system necessary to make this country controllable. And he asks, when will it occur to the people on the left that big business is doing all this because it knows that if it makes the right moves on cultural issues that matter to the woke, it will be able to do whatever it wants to workers. It never had to worry about Republicans, but that may be changing soon. If we elect a crop of populists who know how to do more than tweet and make belligerent but empty speeches, he says, I'd like to see Republicans like this get elected and get active to remind big business of its proper place. 
It's quite powerful in our society, but do we really want a society in which big business reserves to itself the right to tell polities what their laws and policies are going to be at the risk of punishing that polity economically if it resists? That sure sounds like where we are. Again, the article here is from Glenn Greenwald. I'll have it posted in the show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. Um, strongly recommend, if you haven't subscribed to a Glenn Greenwald Substack, it's worth it. You'll get some new articles in your uh, inbox a couple of times a week. They are always well-researched. They are always well-balanced. Like I say, he's one of the few journalists out there who actually deserves the title of journalist. We'll take a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And welcome back to the show. Just want to say a couple of kind words here about Pure Light. These are amazing LED light bulbs. And they do something that you may not associate with a light bulb. They purify the air in their immediate vicinity, meaning they, they kill pathogens, they reduce odors, they, they stop mold, they stop mildew. And I can't explain the process, but if you go to the link at thebrianheidshow.com, it's in the sponsors, it's uh, pure-light.com, you will see for yourself what a remarkable Light bulb, this is, it does the work of a thousand plus dollar air purification machine. And it's technology that's been around for some time. It's just, this is an affordable way for you to uh, improve the cleanliness of, uh, of wherever you happen to be. Put it in the kitchen, you know, it'll help reduce the, the smells that remain from cooking, including if you burn food. Very worth your while. They've got a wonderful website. Check it out for yourself. Again, the link is in the show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. Last weekend, I had the chance to travel to St. George and to uh, deliver some comments to the Liberty Action Coalition. This is a group of of, uh, grassroots uh, groups and individuals from uh, Washington and Iron Counties in my home state of Utah. And it was was a really marvelous occasion. Saw a lot of uh, familiar faces, some really, truly dear friends who I know have been in the, the fight for liberty for many, many years. And the the gist of the remarks that I shared with them came back to, if you're serious about moving the cause of liberty, you have to understand that, uh, that without divine providence, the chances for success are very, very small. I'm drawing upon the example of the founders, but I understand not everybody believes in God. Not everybody believes that God would even give a hoot, you know, what, uh, what kind of governance you have. And <clears throat> the only case I can make is that uh, freedom, and I mean <clears throat> individual liberty, agency, and autonomy, are essential to God's purposes for his children. Nobody grows, nobody becomes better as a result of being enslaved or you know, just yoked with, with no choices whatsoever. We grow through our ability to make choices, to act for ourselves rather than just be acted upon. But I understand. 
I, you know, I'm nobody. Who knows? Maybe I'm just a religious fanatic, and that's, you know, that's how, how we can, can explain away why, why I'm wrong. However, when someone with the stature of Alexander Solzhenitsyn speaks, like him or not, the guy commands some respect and authority, and, and he should. Nine years he spent in the gulag over uh, uh, an unflattering comment he made about Comrade Stalin that was uh, picked up on by a uh, Soviet censor and uh, relayed back to Stalin, who made sure that Solzhenitsyn paid for his insolence. Do you realize back in 1983, Solzhenitsyn addressed, uh, this is called the Templeton Address, Men Have Forgotten God. And I want to share just a couple of excerpts with you because this is, is a very sound warning that he sounded nearly 40 years ago when he received the Templeton Prize for Progress in Religion. And what he did was he explained how godlessness is the first step to the gulag. He explained how the Russian Revolution and the communist takeover were facilitated by an atheistic mentality and a long process of secularization which alienated people from God and traditional Christian morality and beliefs. And he rightly concluded, men have forgotten God. That is why this has all happened. And look, I'm not asking you to buy into any particular conspiracy theory. But as you look around us today, how much official hostility do you see towards anything that could be counted as godly? I'm not just talking organized religion. I'm talking about any expression of faith. Yeah, we wonder. I mean, look. I'm not going to spell it out too graphically, but uh, who's the, who's the dude selling his his Satan shoes with with drops of his own blood or somebody's blood, you know, right there in the shoes? Yeah, we actually celebrate that. Cardi B, who should be noted in the pages of history for um, having success with one of the filthiest songs ever to emerge from pop culture, she was Woman of the Year last year. We're losing it in the sense that we are, are turning our backs on, on our moral foundations, those pillars of support, religion and morality. I'm, I'm referring to, a, to a George Washington's uh, farewell address. He said, if you want to be a free people, those, those are indispensable supports. And yet they're being torn down. Here is what uh, Alexander Solzhenitsyn had to say. And this is just a couple of excerpts from his Templeton address in 1983. He says, more than half a century ago, while I was still a child, I recall hearing a number of older people offer the following explanation for the great disasters that had befallen Russia. Men have forgotten God. That's why all this has happened. He says, since then I spent well nigh 50 years working on the history of our revolution. In the process, I've read hundreds of books, collected hundreds of personal testimonies, and have already contributed eight volumes of my own toward the effort of clearing away the rubble left by that upheaval. But if I were asked today to formulate as concisely as possible the main cause of the ruinous revolution that swallowed up some 60 million of our people, I could not put it more accurately than to repeat, men have forgotten God, That's why all of this has happened. What's more, he says, the events of the Russian Revolution can only be understood now at the end of the century against the background of what has occurred since in the rest of the world. And what emerges here is a process of universal significance. And if I were called upon to identify briefly the principal trait of the entire 20th century, here too, I would be unable to find anything more precise and pithy than to repeat once again, men have forgotten God. 
He says the failings of human consciousness, deprived of its divine dimension, have been a determining factor in all the major crimes of this century. The failings of human consciousness, deprived of its divine dimension, has been uh, the, uh, the huge factor in things like World War I. And much of our present, present predicament can be traced back to it. He says it was a war, the memory of which seems to be fading, when Europe, bursting with health and abundance, fell into a rage of self-mutilation which could not but strap, sap its strength for a century or more, and perhaps forever. The only possible explanation for this war is a mental eclipse among the leaders of Europe due to their lost awareness of a supreme power above them. Only a godless embitterment could have moved ostensibly Christian states to employ poison gas, a weapon so obviously beyond the limits of humanity. He says the same kind of defect, a flaw of consciousness lacking all divine dimension, was manifested after World War II when the West yielded to the satanic temptation of the nuclear umbrella. It was the equivalent of saying, let's cast off worries, let's free the younger generation from their duties and obligations, let's make no effort to defend ourselves, to say nothing of defending others. Let's stop our ears to the groans emanating from the east, and let us live instead in the pursuit of happiness. If danger should threaten us, we shall be protected by the nuclear bomb. If not, then let the world burn in hell for all we care. The pitifully helpless state to which the contemporary West has sunk is in large measure due to this fatal error. The belief that the defense of peace depends not on stout hearts and steadfast men, but solely on the nuclear bomb. He says, today's world has reached a stage which, if it had been described in preceding centuries, would have called forth the cry, this is the apocalypse. Yet we've grown used to this kind of world. We even feel at home in it. Dostoevsky warned, great events could come upon us and catch us intellectually unprepared. And Solzhenitsyn says that's precisely what's happened. And he predicted that the world will be saved only after it has been possessed by the demon of evil. Now, whether it will really be saved, he says, we shall have to wait and see. This will depend on our conscience, on our spiritual lucidity, on our individual and combined efforts in the face of catastrophic circumstances. But it has already come to pass that the demon of evil, like a whirlwind, triumphantly circles all five continents of the earth. By the time of the revolution, faith had virtually disappeared in Russian-educated circles, and amongst the uneducated, its health was threatened. He says, in its past, Russia did know a time when social, the social ideal was not fame or riches or material success, but actually a pious way of life. Russia was then steeped in an orthodox Christianity, which remained true to the church of the first centuries. The orthodoxy of that time knew how to safeguard its people under the yoke of a foreign occupation that lasted more than two centuries, while at the same time fending off iniquitous blows from the swords of Western crusaders. During those centuries, the orthodox faith in our country became the part of the very pattern of thought and the personality of our people, the forms of daily life, the work calendar, the priorities in every undertaking, the organization of the week and the year. Faith was the shaping and unifying force of the nation. See, we see revolution starting to, uh, to rear its head, and it looks a lot like the French Revolution. And in this case, uh, Solzhenitsyn says, you know, even Dostoevsky looked at the French Revolution and its seeming hatred of the church and drew the lesson that uh, revolution must necessarily begin with atheism. He goes on and he spells out some of the historical background. It's a speech that you really, I think, would be happy that you read. 
If for no other reason you could say, wow, we were definitely warned. Maybe then you'll ask, why didn't we pay attention? This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I want to return briefly to this uh, speech by Alexander Solzhenitsyn given back in 1983, rather, as uh, he was receiving a reward from Templeton. And he talks about how rejection of God will only end in misery and terror. Yeah, 40 years ago, Solzhenitsyn, who lived through some of the worst things that the, the Bolshevik Revolution could, could bring out, and he warned the West. Well, why was he warning the West? Well, because uh, the, the Bolshevik Revolution, or at least those who, who carried it forward, you know, after the Bolsheviks themselves, um, they kicked him out. After he'd languished for nine long years in the gulag, they finally found a way to exile him from his beloved homeland, and uh, he, he still never stopped proclaiming truth. I'm not saying that, uh, you know, if you just start going to Sunday school today, our problems are going to be solved, but uh, here's what I am suggesting, and, and feel free to disagree. I believe that our problems have reached a depth and magnitude that there is no political solution that's going to fix them. The, the system itself has become so corrupted that all we're likely to achieve is simply moving around of chess pieces here and there. The, the game itself is, is still rigged. It's, it's not going to change. In my opinion, the only thing that will make the difference, if freedom is to prevail, if goodness is still to find a place, is when enough of us humble ourselves that we are willing to cry out to God with one voice to be our protector. And I know how hopelessly naive that sounds to some people. Maybe there was a time I would have thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. Spit in one hand, wish in the other, see which one fills up first. I No. As, as uh, fate would have it, I've had the privilege of standing at some, some fairly watershed events in recent history. And my personal experience has been that uh, God is very much a part of the cause of liberty. Not in the sense that he's, uh, you know, uh, a political cam- candidate and, you know, it's, it's, it's not an idol that has been sent to us and, and, and given us reason to chant in unison. It's just a recognition that uh, there is an author of liberty. It's central to his purposes. It's the greatest gift that God gives mankind. But it's the kind of thing that a person or a people or a nation must qualify for. You have to be capable of handling it. Otherwise, it cannot remain, or it will lead you to your own destruction. I'm sorry, Charlie Sheen probably gets, gets the brunt of, uh, you know, of being used as an example for this. But if you want to see, can, can too much freedom actually be a bad thing? If it's used pro- improperly, yes. The answer is yes. And I use Charlie Sheen as an example. I have Look, I'm not judging his soul. I'm not, to, I'm not trying to say, tell you, this man is condemned to hell. I don't know that. But you look at the wealth, the fame, the freedom 
that this guy had to do whatever he wanted. The world is his oyster. And he spent his means partying, indulging every appetite. It was like a dog. If, if it itches, scratch it. It doesn't matter. And in so doing, he painted himself into a, a corner of despair and, and self-destruction. You've seen people do that, probably in your own life. Whether it's through debt, whether it's through drug ad- abuse, whether it's through sex addictions, infidelity. My point is simply this. Freedom is a great thing. Again, I, I believe it's the greatest gift God gives us, but if we misuse it, we don't get to keep it. It requires a people who will govern themselves, who will, will um, bank that fire, if you will, will control their appetites, direct their efforts into worthwhile pursuits because they choose to, not because they're being forced to. I just want to give you one more quick thought here from Alexander Solzhenitsyn. He says, our life consists not in the pursuit of material success, but in the quest for worthy spiritual growth. Our entire earthly existence is but a transitional stage in the movement towards something higher. And we must not stumble or fall, nor must we linger fruitlessly on one rung of the ladder. He says, material laws alone do not explain our life or give it direction. The laws of physics and physiology will never reveal the indisputable manner in which the Creator constantly, day in and day out, participates in the life of each of us, unfailingly granting us the energy of existence. When this assistance leaves us, he says, we die. And in the life of our entire planet, the Divine Spirit surely moves with no less force. Keep in mind, it was 40-some years, almost 40 years ago he's saying this, this we must grasp in our dark and terrible hour. He says, to the ill-considered hopes of the last two centuries, which have reduced us to insignificance and brought us to the brink of nuclear and non-nuclear death, we can propose only a determined quest for the warm hand of God, which we have so rashly and self-confidently spurned. Only in this way can our eyes be opened to the errors of this unfortunate 20th century and our bands be directed to setting them right. There's nothing else to cling to in the landslide. The combined vision of all the thinkers of the Enlightenment amounts to nothing. He says our five continents are caught in a whirlwind, but it is during trials such as these that the highest gifts of human of the human spirit are manifested. If we perish and lose this world, Solzhenitsyn says the fault will be ours alone. Dang. That is some super powerful stuff right there. I'm going to shift right now to... Uh, an article from Tom Piatak picked this one up off of intellectualtakeout.org. He references a song from uh, Frank Sinatra back in 1945 about the meaning of America. It was called The House I Live In. A perfect match, he says, for the honeyed voice of the young Sinatra. One that Sinatra continued to sing as his voice matured and his politics uh, moved to the right as he got older. Now he says, I've been vaguely familiar with the song since childhood, but I didn't listen closely to the lyrics till just a few years ago. These lyrics jumped out. The howdy and the handshake, the air of feeling free, and the right to speak my mind out. That's America to me. And Tom says, how quaint that Americans used to believe that. The list of topics that can be discussed in public, even in moderate and respectful ways, shrinks by the year. Americans, at least conservative ones, are increasingly reluctant to express beliefs in public, even on the Internet, a medium whose early proponents often championed unfettered freedom of expression. 
But he says, indeed, many on the right had seen the Internet as the key to bypassing leftist domination of other media. In 2020, however, the Internet became just another venue in which the left could assert its cultural dominance as tech monopolists used algorithms, content warnings, suspensions, and bans to limit the spread of ideas they didn't like, a process that came to include even the President of the United States. The impact of such open censorship is amplified by massive self-censorship as people learn about careers sidetracked and even ended by the discovery of stray remarks made years before. And he gives a couple of just incredible examples here. Uh, maybe you know about uh, the member of uh, Mumford & Sons forced to take a leave of absence after it became known that, what, he actually praised Andy Noe's book, which is critical of Antifa? Or how about Chris Harrison, host of the ABC dating game, or dating game show The Bachelor, when he wondered aloud, is that fair to bar a contestant for attending a party in 2018 in which the guests dressed like planters or plantation owners from the antebellum South? Harrison was forced to take a leave of absence and will be replaced in the show's future seasons. Now, these examples, he says, could be multiplied many times over, but the point is clear. What Sinatra called the air of feeling free is now a suffocating miasma. The right to speak my mind out is increasingly exercised only in the deepest recesses of private life, and the house I live in has become the house I hide in. Tom P. Attack says, Cancel culture is nothing new. It's just particularly virulent at the moment. Indeed, two of this magazine's most uh, distinguished writers, he was this was originally published in Chronicles, um, Sam Francis and Joe Sobrin, they experienced this firsthand. The way to combat it, the only way to combat it, is to do what Joe and Sam both did, and that is keep telling the truth as you see it. Not recklessly, nor provocatively, but insistently. And he says, as Sam said to him, it doesn't take long for beliefs that everyone knows to be true, but that no one is willing to defend in public, to vanish. Such has been the fate of so much of what the conservative movement set out to conserve, since that movement was, from its inception, shot through with tactical timidity. But the bottom line is, if we can't stand up and defend what we believe to be true, we may as well just stay locked in our houses. Again, there is a link to this article in the show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. Strongly recommend you take a look at it. it. It spoke to me in ways that I didn't expect it to. I'm hoping it'll do the same for you. Thank you once again for being part of my growing audience. Please subscribe to the podcast. Tell your friends about it. If you find value in the articles and commentary that I share, I'd like you to consider becoming a regular donor and supporter of this show. This is The Brian Hyde Show.